Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you, yes you, on a journey into the crucible, that wild and wacky place, for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am your co-host, somehow, still, Zach Armstrong, and I'm joined, as always, by Ed Pocock. Ed, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking, Zach. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are excited for this week's episode. As uh, you know, if you're a regular listener, sometimes Ed and I take an episode off from having one of our lovely guests, and we discuss a topic inside of Keyforge. And uh, we were inspired by some of our talks with Richard and some thoughts we had uh, even previous to that. And we wanted to talk about some of our starting ideas uh, for types of players in Keyforge. So, uh, Ed, what uh, what was your thought process that that led you to really bring this up and start to drive this episode for us? Yeah, I mean, we certainly got a bit of a peek inside Richard's thought process last week, and I think it fascinated both of us that this was as much about the psychology of card games as it was around the actual mechanics of the game. So, yeah, I think it's 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 spurred us on a bit to think about why do we play Keyforge and beyond the because it's fun response. And I, I think even looking at the two of us, the reasons why we play Keyforge, the reasons why we interact with the community and the, the role the game plays in our lives is quite different so i mean we'll be diving into that a bit later but actually looking at the different types of keyforge player and capturing those in a similar way to other games like magic have done in the past seemed like an interesting thought experiment so we are going to have that today and we're not looking to capture every nuance because i think if we tried to capture every nuance we'd probably have to start a a new podcast to, to capture the infinite number of Keyforge players because you can't really fit Keyforge players into a box. But it's going to be fun to try, isn't it, Zach? <laughs> yes, yes, that's very true. Um, and the Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast, their publisher, you know, they put this disclaimer out on their player types thing that says, you know, everybody is usually a little bit more than than one type. Maybe there are a couple of the types combined or they're primarily one type, they're secondarily another type. Uh, so these are really just going to be our kind of initial thoughts on player types that you can use to think about why do you enjoy the game. Uh, maybe you will hear one of these types and go, oh yeah, when I enjoy Keyforge this way, I do relate to that. And uh, maybe it will help you uh, either enjoy Keyforge a little bit more by diving into that or, you know, learning about how other people enjoy Keyforge if it's different from how you enjoy Keyforge. 
Absolutely. I think we're looking to prescribe order to the otherwise madness that is the different types of Keyforge players. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Madness. Madness indeed. Um, but for the uninitiated, Ed, uh, I think we're actually going to start outside of Keyforge, aren't we, by looking at the original set of player types real quick. Yeah, I, I will wash my mouth out after speaking about magic, so we'll have to stop the podcast then. But but yeah, Zach, I mean, do you want do you want to kick it off? We have to caveat here that the the three magic player types that were identified: Spike, Johnny, and Timmy. I mean, it's quite clear, isn't it, that Magic didn't really want to grow their player base at the time. Um, otherwise, they might have had female. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we'll actually look through some FFG examples from another card game. Uh, and then, of course, our player types that we've uh, put together with some help from our Patreon supporters. Uh, and all of those are going to be uh, ungendered uh categories instead of um you know spike could be ungendered here in the u.s um johnny and timmy um often traditionally man names here so yeah we were kind of chuckling at that uh as we as we looked at starting our recording here uh, but as a quick uh, a quick recap for those of you who are not familiar with uh, what they call these psychographic profiles uh the first one of course, is what they originally called uh, the tournament player, the Spike. Uh, and they said, Spike is a competitive player. Spike plays to win. Spike enjoys winning. To accomplish this, Spike will play whatever the best deck is. Spike will copy decks off the internet. Spike will borrow other people's decks. To Spike, the thrill of Magic the Gathering is the adrenaline rush of competition. Spike enjoys the stimulation of pl- outplaying the opponent and the glory of victory. And so a successful play session of Magic the Gathering for Spike uh, is winning most of the their games. Um, hopefully they're mature enough. You know, if they didn't uh, win most of their games, they can think about how to win more next time. But Spike, Spike wants to win. Spike wants to be the best. Spike is sweaty Zach, right? Spike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, in here in the United States, we have the Bill of Rights and I will plead the fifth to that. So <laughs> I, I won't ask for an amendment. I think that's a joke. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Yes, yes, I don't have to testify myself in the court of discovery is, I think, what the uh, last time is. Yeah, in the court of discovery, you're guilty before proven innocence. So, yeah. There's no law Indeed. and order here. It's just chaos. Indeed. What's our, what's our second Magic the Gathering player type that really started this whole discussion? Our second Magic Gathering, the player type, is Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have a ring to it, really, does it? Anyway, um, our second Magic the Gathering player type is Johnny. Johnny is the creative gamer to whom magic is a form of self-expression. Johnny likes to win, but he also likes to win with style. It's very important to Johnny that he win on his own terms. As such, it's important that he's using his own deck and not one of his friends. Playing Magic for Johnny is an opportunity to show off his creativity. So, um, are you a bit Johnny? Are you a bit of a Johnny, Zach? In a deck-building game, uh, when I played Netrunner for several years, I was 100% a Johnny. I built decks off-meta, and I would just tune and tune and tune just these wacky decks Um uh, I would every once in a while play a strong deck if I really just wanted to win, but mostly I was playing my own janky creations that I had thought up myself. So I was 100% a Johnny in a deck building game. I 
am also 100% a Johnny in a deck building game. And this is probably why we're kind of the discovery side of things, I imagine. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. I think uh, I think Johnny's in Magic the Gathering uh, play a lot of draft and hopefully are playing more and more Keyforge. Uh, probably. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that Keyforge would be a game that would would appeal strongly to um to people in that player type. And I hear draft is uh, is slowly slipping a little bit in the in the throne of Magic: The Gathering or the the mm. formats that, that are played there, uh, which sure. is a shame, indeed. Um, and Zach, what is our third player type? Our third player type is Timmy. Timmy plays Magic because he wants to enjoy the feeling he gets when he plays. Uh, what that feeling will vary from Timmy to Timmy, but all Timmys have in common is that they enjoy the visceral experience of playing. Uh, often in Magic the Gathering, they design big creatures and big spells, uh, big swingy effects uh, for Timmy. They want something exhilarating to hit the table, big things to happen when, when they cast that spell. Uh, so that is that is the the third uh, psychographic profile from Magic: The Gathering that really uh, is a kind of granddaddy of player type discussions. Otherwise, the blue eyes white dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm about one third of the way through a video called uh, the Yu Gi Oh Meta 2002 to today. So uh, I'm sure I can make more Yu Gi Oh jokes in within a week or two. <laughs> Seriously, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I might go and check that out. Yeah, very fascinating. Fascinating. I legit rewatched all five series of the original uh, Yu-Gi-Oh last year, and oh. um, yeah, had, yeah, it was it was it was a beautiful moment. It's like a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so, Ed, for this next section, we're now going to look at FFG's take on player types, but for their card game, Arkham Horror. If you're uninitiated, it's a living card game, meaning cards are released in packs where you buy the pack and you know exactly what cards you're getting in that pack. You get uh, the maximum number of copies per deck of each card in there. So all you need to do is buy X amount of packs. You know you have all the cards. You can build whatever you want, and it's cooperative. Uh, that's about the extent of my knowledge. Uh, Ed, is there any other context you'd like to give us for uh, Arkham Horror before we dive in? As I know, uh, you have taken a dive into this game here and there. Yeah, sorry, Zach. I just pause as I stop salivating about this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Arkham, if, if you haven't heard me, me evangelize about it before, it, it is an incredible experience of a game um, and a very different one to Keyforge. So, yes. you know, it scratches an itch that Keyforge doesn't scratch. The two work very, very well, I think, in tandem. It's a cooperative game. Um, you can hear me evangelizing about it for probably about 15 minutes in our, in our episode, Our Favorite Lockdown Games. Um, um, which was around March last year. Yes, yes. Matt Newman, the, um, the the designer, adapted Magic's player types for an Arkham Horror audience. And um, just to paint a, a picture here, as we said, it's a co-op game. It's a deck building game. So you go away, you build your deck before you, you come to the table and you play through different scenarios, whether it be you know going into a haunted house or whether it be attending a party or whether it be stopping a ritual from taking place. It's all based on the Lovecraft universe. So it's, it's very pulpy, very fun. You play an investigator solving mysteries. Zach, do you want to kick off with what the first player type is for Arkham? Of course, of course. And the name of this player type uh, it really sings to the heart of, of Lovecraft with dark magics, unknowable things that cause madness, because the first player type is called 
the ritualist. Uh, and the quote from uh, Matt Newman here is the ritualist is the card gamer embodied, uh, which I would probably redefine that uh, if I was writing it, but they love building decks, finding complex combos and exploring synergies, enjoying deck building just as much, if maybe not more than gameplay. I know that was me with Netrunner almost. The Ritualist also enjoys discussing spoiled cards on forums, theorizing new deck builds, and tinkering with existing decks. So uh, we have a couple pretty easy comparisons to Keyforge here. You can really replace the word building with the word exploring in those. So you could say uh, they love exploring decks, finding complex combos in new decks, uh, you know, exploring synergies in random decks, and enjoying looking at new decks as much as playing new decks. Uh, I certainly have plenty of the Keyforge Ritualist in me. Uh, and if any of you become or are a Patreon subscriber, there is actually a channel in our, our Discord where uh, I kind of obsessively uh, go through eBay and then the weird corners of decks of Keyforge where I will look up just effective combos and see kind of what decks are, are around those. And I just post all these decks that I don't plan on buying, but I just had the thrill of finding of finding online. So I think this one translates awfully well uh, to a Keyforge player too. The game outside the game, I think, is yes. the, the term that comes to mind here. And it's the term that Frank and Peter on on Drawn to the Flame frequently, frequently talk about. Yes. Uh, shout out to Drawn to the Flame, Arkham Horror Podcast. If you're at all interested in the game, please look them up. They are kind of a spiritual big brother to us as far as podcasts go. So please check them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Uh, our second category here is the Slayer. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer sadly is not in not in this game. Aww. But, um, but she, she now does have a unmatched expansion, which is the um, the game that Brad Andres, our, our illustrious uh, ex Keyforge uh, lead developer, is is now working on. So um, so check that out if you like Buffy and um, you, you like the kind of stuff that Brad Brad gets up to. To describe the Slayer in, in Matt Newman's words, the Slayer has the most fun when they feel awesome. The player relishes cards with powerful, splashy effects and generally enjoys playing with higher level cards and lots of experience. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Keyforge equivalent here is is massive creatures. <laughs> you know, those huge effects where you can go, I can do this. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost a little bit Timmy, isn't it? And, yes. Um, getting that Khalifi dragon on the table, it might not be amazing, <laughs> but it sure is fun. <laughs> I, I, I can attribute, I, I can witness to that actually, because I have played Khalifi dragon once and I remember that moment specifically where I actually got to play and use Khalifi dragon. It was, it was awesome for Keyforge. I would also put in, um, you know, anything that really is where you're doing a ton on your turn, right? Like uh, a board wipe or a binate rupture interdimensional graft, some amber burst maybe with a, you know, a full moon hunting witch, uh, TMTP. All of these things where you're doing a lot of big swinging in your turn, a really good library access turn even. Uh, I would, I think that fits in with a Keyforge uh, Slayer type uh, very well. Indeed, indeed. And our next one is the detective. So the detective, according to Matt, approaches each scenario like a new puzzle to solve. While winning the game is somewhat an abstract concept in Arkham Horror, 
this player wants to achieve the best outcome possible. And I'll have to explain a little bit of a background here because there are there are some scenarios mm. in Arkham that are very do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And um, you play with up to groups of four and there's sometimes someone at the table that's kind of itching that's like, but we can't end now. We can't end because we've still got two more things to do to complete <laughs> it. And the rest of the table are like, but if we try and do those, we're going to lose. And they're like, but we can't. We can't leave things on the table. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And and Zach, do you have any thoughts about the Keyforge equivalent for this? Sure, sure. I think it's the person trying to make that edge case work, right? Uh, like if some ridiculous sick-in-the-head person was trying to make uh, Rocket Tesmol work, uh, they could probably <laughs> go there, right? That person reaching for, I want this to happen, but oh man, it's risky and it probably it probably won't. Um, maybe trying to make uh, the Sting work, right? Like an effective the Sting deck, which you know makes you skip your Forge of Key steps, you get all your your opponent's uh, Key Forging Amber. Uh, that is tough to really make effective even though it's very powerful um uh, an idea i had for the detective is maybe someone who takes on the challenge of playing a deck with no duplicates right because you're going to have a bit of a higher variance in that deck with uh, without any card effects uh, card effects repeating maybe someone like a few episodes ago if you listen to our george cagle deck discovery episode he picked that deck uh to bring on the podcast because he knows he's bad at that kind of deck and he wants to get better he is he is doing something suboptimal because he wants to solve he wants to solve that puzzle. I also think this is the kind of person who plays kitchen table sealed without looking at the deck list, because I know that is a thing that people in Keyforge enjoy. I know plenty of people who do that, and it is a, it is a, a way to enjoy sealed that I think uh, would be very detective-esque. Very detective-esque. Indeed, indeed. And and Zach, did you have a sting phase? I definitely had a sting phase where I was trying to <laughs> trying to make the deck work whilst listening to Englishmen in New York on repeat. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to get to that joke before uh, I got to speak again. Uh, well, but- we'd have to call the the police. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I definitely had a I definitely had a sting phase where I was looking at the sting decks I owned, trying to figure out how how to make it work. Um, it is certainly an esoteric artifact. Uh, there's even moments on uh, like our friends over at Tabletop Royale. You can see them having a sting deck that they've opened and kind of sealed in the early stages of their uh, of their set championship, and they go, man. Do I play this? Do I not play this? So it even baffles, you know, some of our our, our smartest, most practiced, most accomplished uh, players in Keyforge still, uh, certainly. So a very good, a very good card for a detective to try to solve. It does. It does. And Zach, would you like to tell us about the storyteller? Yes. So in Arkham Horror, they say the storyteller is the one who loves reading and listening to and telling stories. For this player, Arkham Horror, the card game is more than just a card game. It's an interactive storytelling experience. And I think Arkham is amazing at that storytelling experience because they if FFG is good at anything, FFG is good at making you fall in love with the world they've set a game in, whether they made that world for the game like the Crucible and Keyforge or whether they made a game for the world like Arkham Horror. And so in Arkham Horror, you can really get into the story of this investigator that you're playing, all of their resources and equipment and friends and how they go on a campaign played over many sessions. That's really deep storytelling. And in Keyforge, I think this very much exists uh, with a big credit to how FFG has built a world for Keyforge. It would, uh, the Crucible was obviously born from the mechanics of the game, and it would have been so easy for for the setting to be totally shoehorned and 
hard to care about. And some people, you know, may ignore it and that's totally fine. Keyforge is a, a game in a setting. Um, but so many of us have been caught up in this setting and the lore and even just flavor texts and funny things about the cards. We had our whole quiz showdown with help from future self uh, last year. Please go check that out. If you haven't had it, it was, or haven't heard it, it was very silly. Um, and I know a lot of us have gotten into at least the idea of the Keyforge RPG. The short fiction that was released when the game was released was absolutely stellar. Um, so there is a lot of value in the story all around Keyforge and the story of uh, trying to trying to get these these vaults open, which is still not really clear what's in there besides uh, vague knowledge and, and riches. Uh, it gets pretty weird in some of the fiction. But um, I think there's definitely a storyteller aspect for, for many Keyforge players. Well, if weird is one word to describe Keyforge, I think it's uh, it's a it's a good one. It's a good one, um, and I mean that with with all the love in the world. But Zach, I'm very much a storyteller when it comes to Arkham Horror. Mm. It's um, getting immersed in a world, and they do this so well with the art. Each each campaign's almost like a book, but it's it's almost a choose your own adventure book with lots of different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Part of me would love to see an Arkham uh, Keyforge hybrid game with. Uh, <laughs> You know, playing as playing as Bad Penny or Rad Penny and trying sure. to go on adventures across the Crucible, but we'll, we'll have to wait for that one. I don't doubt that FFG has, with the success of the unique deck game of Keyforge, is looking at other ways to apply it. Right? How are they going to iterate on it next? Um, and I'm almost wondering if uh, they'll have something like Arkham Horror, where it's a cooperative game where mm. you purchase a deck and you play that deck cooperatively. You know, against uh, against some sort of challenge. I think that could be uh, a space. Maybe they'll explore, perhaps. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's there's enough space there for something like that which would be different enough from Keyforge and their their Marvel license, their Marvel LCG as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the, the final one is, I think, a, a real fun one, um, The Nihilist. Uh, the Nihilist has the most fun when laughing death in the face. This player loves difficult games, either because they love a challenge or because they enjoy the implications of everyday people facing impossible horrors with little chance of success. I find this hilarious because I, I, I play with someone in, in my Arkham group that is 100% this character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we got to the stage where we'd had seven play sessions, seven evenings investing into a campaign and we were, we were going through it and he went, wait, no, I've got a turn. This is going to be bold. This is going to be brash. This is going to be amazing. And everyone kind of looked across the table and they thought, yeah, has he has he calculated this properly? Are you <laughs> sure it's going to go okay? And he was like, no, 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 no. I've got this. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, <laughs> we'd lost the campaign. Oh, <laughs> seven, oh no. Seven nights. <laughs> it's come to nothing. And uh, But it was the most memorable, incredible moment. Oh, that my goodness. Allowed the personalities of the people at the table to shine. Yeah. I mean, Zach, any thoughts about the Keyforge equivalent for who is your crucible nihilist? The, the nihilist, well, it, you know, it says somebody who faces, you know, impossible horrors with a little chance of success. That really feels like me going to a, a you know, premier play uh, Keyforge event, you know, 
horrors with little chance of success. So uh, I'm certainly a nihilist when it when it comes to that. Um, I think it's also the person who just wants the challenge in Keyforge, right? Uh, the the fabled story, um, and I don't know if we've ID'd this person since it happened, but in the early days, somebody took a four horsemen deck to a reversal event in the first few months of the game to show uh, how overhyped mechanically, at least, that the horsemen the horsemen are. Uh, so I would say that is a true nihilist move, and I, I think I think there are nihilists in Keyforge. It might not be like a primary player type, um, but someone uh, someone who is exploring those absolutely bonkers uh, bonkers corner cases, and not even the ones that are like particularly mechanically strong. Um, they want to they want to uh, you know take on take on reversal in the most hilarious way, uh, and, and things like that. So a great one for Arkham. Uh, I think there's some versions of it for Keyforge certainly. Yeah, it's a player that absolutely loves Wild Wormhole. <laughs> and, um, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope the Wild Wormhole podcast release another episode so we can start the um, the feud again. Because I feel I feel like we can't we can't throw things at them when when they're not releasing episodes. Yeah, yeah. I need to um, I need to really shake off this ridiculous title of nicest guy in Keyforge. Some people tried to throw on me uh, unceremoniously. And Didn't you lose that? <laughs> I, I've been trying to. I've been trying to. My most efficient way to try to lose it is to just dump on wild wormhole so um but i can't do that if they've literally disappeared so you know come on come on d house (laughs) we 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 can play merkins and see what what comes up (laughs) yes uh when they relaunch they'll just call it the merkins cast the merkins cast Excellent. Well, uh, that is all of the FFG types from Matt Newman about Arkham Horror, the card game. So without further ado, uh, we are going to jump into uh, our Keyforge types. Now, we were able to toss uh, this topic out to our Patreon and something that was absolutely delightful that we got from an amazing discussion with several of our of our people there uh, was a bird theme. So all of these player types are going to be named after birds, <laughs> uh, which is just lovely and fun. And uh, I think a little on theme because of Brad Andres, one of the original designers along once Richard brought it on, uh, is a big uh, bird watching fan, a big ornithologist fan. So uh, we've got a bit of a link to Keyforge proper there. And most people know the archetypes surrounding many different kinds of birds. And so even just the name, the type of player I hope will be memorable as we go through uh, as we go through the the names of these, and of course, uh, these are our thoughts. If you have ideas about maybe a type we haven't really hit here, or kind of variations on a type, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email. Uh, get just get that discussion going about these types. They're not meant to be set in stone. Just just tools to think about how we play, how we enjoy KeyForge. Yeah, absolutely, and we hope that you'll see parts of your your yourself and the way that you play Keyforge, the way that you interact with the the Keyforge community in some of these different player types. But you're mm-hmm. you're likely not to just identify with one of them. You'll probably mm-hmm. identify with two or three of them. Yes, yes, and I think another value in it is uh, realizing and appreciating how different people enjoy Keyforge. Right? Uh, we take personality tests at my workplace, and my boss once said uh, it's partially to figure out how you work, but it's also 
to say, oh, I thought that was a Zach. I thought that was just a human thing I do. But no, that's just a Zach thing. And other people might not do it that way. So uh, maybe going through player types will let you uh, help you appreciate other kinds of Keyforge players even more. Yeah. And, and no one of these is right or wrong. They are yes. all yes. very valid ways of exploring and, and, uh, and looking at the game. So I'd love to say that we kind of took a bird's eye view with this because I like the idea that, you know, the birds can see the crucible. They can see the different player types and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not Maybe laughing I'm at that. Too meta. Not not laughing at that. I will. I refuse to laugh at that. <laughs> oh, oh dear, oh dear. Uh, <laughs> without without further uh, without further cuckoo, uh, Ed. What is our first player type? Yeah. So yeah, let's not chirp on about it too long. Um, our next player type, our first player type, is the J or or the J bird for for the Americans. We're not talking about someone named J. We are talking about the bird that happens to be called the J. And this was this one comes from Muffins, um, who suggested that the J, uh, the bird, might be quite a sociable bird, and therefore it might be a good name to call our Keyforge players that really value that part of the community. So jays will be seen wherever archons are near. The jays are social animals, and for them, Keyforge is less about the deck you play and more about the experience of the community that you have around it. Yes, uh, I like this type because I think most of us have a little jaybird in us because of... um, positive or negative experiences with card and board game communities before this and Keyforge for many people has been positive and we want to work to, you know, keep it that way. And, uh, you know, I know so many people, the uh, Keyforge is yes, it's a game we enjoy, but it's also a method for making friends and spending enjoyable time with other people, whether on discord or in person when it has been, or will be safe again. Um, and all those sorts of things. So I think that's a very important part of it. It's an important part of any card game, but especially for Keyforge. Yeah, Jays will be, I think, the beating heart of those Discord groups in different spaces. The Jays will be the yes. ones that are always replying, um, well, not always replying, but yeah, reliably there, and um, and will be the ones turning up to to local events with impressive commitment in non-pandemic settings. Yes, yes, and these people, uh, if you're a Jaybird, you probably avoid bringing a Heart of the Forest or Quixelstone um, if you want. If your goal is to create positive play experiences for the people you're around, which is absolutely critical uh so I, m- I made a joke here in the show notes that the, the jay keeps themselves warm by burning heart of the forest in quixelstone decks so sorry to everybody trying to make those work the jaybird uh needs to stay warm i told the wing and a prayer there Zach. <laughs> uh yes uh and our next type uh, our next type is the whoa whoa we got to talk about the spirit house Zach. the spirit house oh yeah. the spirit house each each of these each of these birds has a has a spirit house, the uh, the house that they naturally gravitate towards in Keyforge. I mean, the J is probably anything but Mars, though. <laughs> sure, sure. Yes, Mars, not very friendly to outsiders. Uh, everybody else, certainly a bit more friendly, a bit more friendly that way. Uh, anyway, Zach, uh, I let you take flight. What is our <laughs> second, our second player type for Keyforge. Our second player type for Keyforge is the Owl. The Owl is going to explore the depth and breadth of the Crucible with a heart full of adventure and a head full of discovery. For the Owl, Keyforge is a game of countless possibilities and they are keen to experience as many of those 
as possible. The ammo will often be found playing sealed or adaptive, perhaps a variant where every card is a good card in the right context. So this is the owl. The owl is is the player who, uh, yeah, who who wants to to learn and kind of solve the puzzle of KeyForge. I think because of the nature of KeyForge, many people will have at least a touch of of owl in them. Even if you want to find the best deck, you're going to need to solve the puzzle a bit. And the owl is the person who dives into that. Uh, the most trying new deck types, playing sealed for that that fresh, fun, chaotic experience, uh, and adaptive, where uh, where in an adaptive match you can bring just something you know very very well, and it can be very very weird. So uh, the owl the owl is is studious and curious, and always wanting to learn and just uh, experience that new interaction that they haven't found before, which uh, Keyforge really has no shortage of for any of us. Yeah, and I think there's almost two subgroups here, aren't there? Because there's the the owl that really just wants to explore, to go on a journey, the, the the sense of discovery that you know we so love here, and and that can be very much attributed to to casual gamers that can see things in the game that people already in the community can you know struggle to see the wood from the trees because we're already in it. So having a different sense of discovery, whereas I think there's also a, a thing about owls' heads turning around quite a long way. You know, they can see things that others can't. And um, yeah, we certainly see that with some players of Sealed and Adaptive where they put above anything else, their knowledge of the game has to be, yeah, to be good at those formats, your knowledge of the game has to be, uh, has to be really good. So they're going to see things that the other players uh, just don't see and to be reliably good at those formats. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I, I agree. I agree, certainly. I definitely feel like uh, an owl uh, most of the time, most of the time. with um, So I don't get kicked off the podcast. Uh, what is the owl's spirit house, Ed? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that one sounds like a real hoot, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the spirit house for owls, I, I think, is the Grand Star Alliance because mm. they, they travel far and wide. They, um, they, they, don't, they don't judge the species they come up against. And they, uh, they, they want to discover and they want to understand more about this amazing world that they, are, they find themselves crash-landed on. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, and then we have uh, our more intense player type up next. Uh, Ed, from, uh, can you uh, take a fast and ferocious dive at this next type? Yes, absolutely. Straight from the talons. Um, the hawk will gravitate towards the shiny decks with the highest SAS scores. Their Keyforge enjoyment derives from winning by playing the best deck in their or their friend's collection. The Hawks value efficiency above all else. You don't want to take two or three dives when you can only take one, do you, Jack? <laughs> Waste of time. No, that's true. That's true. Make it count. But I think what's really interesting about Hawks is you'll probably find the Hawk playing more Archon than other formats and, mm-hmm. and maybe even talking about the game from the perspective of Archon alone. Yes, yes. This the, the Hawk, I think, is the person who wants to figure out what deck is going to win that next tournament 
uh, they are they are going to. Uh, like we mentioned with SAS, they'll probably gravitate towards something with high SAS, but I think a mature hawk, uh, while we'll have a good respect for SAS, I think a mature hawk will also have those favorite decks that operate in, you know, a good uh, SAS capped tournament environment where they say, you know, SAS has uh, underrated this. Unless, of course, you're a Corey fan uh, who we had on a few times back. And then you're like, no, SAS has evaluated this perfectly because I made it. But that, that hawk wants to find wants to find that deck that's going to win that's going to to succeed in whatever they think the meta is going to be. Um, and we would uh, be remiss to, to not mention that um, uh, there was some uh, buzz around Richard Garfield's comment on our episode last time that just finding the best deck to win um, he sees as a, as a poisonous approach. Um, I think our view on it is that if you want to find the best deck and go win, like that's completely fine. It is it is not hard to do that uh, in a in a healthy way you can certainly do that because you also need to be a bit of a puzzle solver to find the best deck right because it's not it's not obvious there's not a strict uh easy uh easy public set of parameters that just make a deck the best under all circumstances i know plenty of very high-end players who go out they research they try to win uh who are very good for the game because they they support people getting into the game so i think uh any card game needs a hawk especially if you know we one day have that dream of of you know even bigger keyforge you know circuits where people are playing keyforge at high levels uh where we're streaming and commentating it even more we're going to need those hawks playing at that level to get everyone excited about the game Completely agree, completely agree. And I'm glad you brought that up, Zach. What do you think that Hawks can do then to to not fall into the more poisonous category that, that Richard spoke about in last week's episode? Uh, I think sharing your knowledge about decks, getting in discussions about decks, people want to hear smart people talk Keyforge, uh, which is why they listen to other podcasts besides Call of Discovery. I'm kidding. We're smart, but we're obviously, you know, as we've stated before, not the top tier strategy podcast. We're not. Uh, i've got to go and think about our marketing (laughs) yeah that that tagline uh i'll I'll admit we never launched it uh key call of discovery the top tier strategy podcast for keyforge might not have actually put that one into the wild Um, but I, I think if a hawk uh, shares their knowledge and discusses one, you're going to grow as a hawk, right? Because Keyforge is the infinite puzzle. Uh, so you're going to grow as you talk with other people, get other people's thoughts, and then you're also going to be able to share. I think uh, Bouncing Death Quark was a great example of this, of two hawks who are serious card gamers, um, shared their knowledge of card games and Keyforge and really helped people to grow strategically. So I think that's what a good hawk looks like. And of course, you know, don't be a jerk. Um, <laughs> uh, if you're playing a super strong deck against somebody and you hadn't set that expectation, you're like, oh, by the way, I'm playing a really great deck. Um, and also just being a, a good sport when you're when you're playing competitively. Uh, communicate proactively, communicate well. There's lots of good examples of that um, from uh, in real life tournaments before the pandemic of proactive communication, of graciousness, uh, but also of just trying your hardest to win. Keyforge is a game of friendship, but not of mercy. And I feel like the Hawks are some of the people who can embody that the most powerfully for the community. Beautifully put, Zach. Beautifully put. I, I, I kind of threw you under a bus there a little bit, and uh, and you rose to the challenge like a, <laughs> like a hawk rising above uh, a mountain. Yes, yes. We'll and I, I would, uh, I would be. Many of you know the sweaty Zach joke that there is very much a side of me who loves to be a hawk. I have uh, a precious few, but precious still 
um, strong Archon solo decks that I that I enjoy to play, and so I definitely have that hawk side of me that likes to take a strong deck, go to an Archon solo event, and just see how much I can bash people in the face while still getting them to like me. I am not a hawk, but I can very much <laughs> appreciate the way that hawks look at the game. And Ed, one final thing that I would say to my fellow hawks, uh, whether you're, especially if you're more or less of a, a hawk than me, I've got about a, a medium amount there uh, when, I, when I'm not on the mic here <laughs> at Call of Discovery. Uh, something else is that I think uh, a competitive player who would categorize as a hawk, a person like that, we need to realize uh, that... That with the variance in Keyforge, that if you're talking in a Archon solo context, uh, go ahead and acknowledge that. If you're going to say, oh man, AOA stinks, a better way to say that is probably, you know, Age of Ascension, that second set, uh, the general mid-level decks in Age of Ascension don't really perform well in Archon solo against, against most other decks, because that's true. Just the way those decks were built out with the algorithm, uh, they play a bit slower, they have less amber control, and so those things come together, honestly, more often than not in those decks. However, that makes them great for uh, sealed games, especially Interset. It makes them great for adaptive, if someone hasn't practiced much with how that kind of an AOA deck feels and plays. So I think that's something that a a Hawk may need to keep in mind, that uh, just be aware that you're thinking in an Archon solo context, if you tend to think in an Archon solo context and even with sealed i've seen moments uh, i've seen moments on streams where people will say like wow that soul fiddle actually saved you the game of course most games soul fiddle not the most powerful card uh, certainly maybe one of the least useful artifacts out there but you've seen moments where it shines in sealed or in a random situation where you go wait i'm actually going to call disc because i need to enrage that creature right now so and all of that is a part of the beauty, a beauty of Keyforge. So that would be uh, Ed and I's admonition to, to if you're a hawk, if you're, uh, if you're uh, on some microphones, if you're on a video, if you're writing up a blog post, uh, just remember when you are assuming, uh, just try to be aware when you're assuming a context of Archon Solo for your discussion, um, because I think Keyforge is, uh, is much wider than that for most of its players. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, very well said, Zach. And I think probably said better than I can, but it's it's definitely something I, as a non-hawk, very um, you know, very much aware of when I read posts or or when I listen to things. If someone's coming at it from that angle, and it it can be quite jarring, I think sometimes when someone says this is good or this is bad, and you realize it's maybe from one particular context, but I, I do wonder the the impression that has on on newer players. Let's move on to our next Keyforge category. Our next type of Keyforge player, Zach, is The Crow. And that was my bad attempt at a, uh, a Jon Snow accent. Um, <laughs> I, I apologize to anyone living in the north of England. Um, I'm an awful person. Um, the Crow will... Uh, this This was an idea by our, our Patreon blinking line, who is the the manager of, of all things Archon Arcana. Um, so the crow will happily play the same deck over and over, win or lose. Their Keyforge enjoyment comes from deep dives into a group of decks and relishing in the nuances of specific interactions. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, this this is really Richard's idea about being the best in the world at your own deck, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
Certainly, certainly. Yeah, this kind of person you'll find documenting their 46th game uh, with their favorite Archon. Uh, and also in our uh, CD-ROM format, uh, the CD-ROM format of how to practice one deck uh, over and over again and, and journey and document. Practice that one deck over and over again and document that journey. Uh, I certainly have some crow in me practicing with a keepers, the strong chin. I have to get back on the horse and finish out my last, uh, 20 something games until I hit 150. I have quite a few other decks. I enjoy just playing over and over again because I get to learn them some medium strength, some high strength. Um, so I think this is certainly a, a common Keyforge type of person when you find that one deck that you just enjoy diving into so much and you get to experience it anew each time when you're in a different kind of matchup with it or a, a new set comes out. Yeah, and if you think you've got a bit of the crow in you, then I think go back and check out our, our episode on on the CD-ROM format. The the link to um to the CD-ROM uh, document is is in the show notes for that. But it's essentially a structured way of of getting to know your deck inside and out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, very much. And uh, if you are a sailor, go ahead and stop the podcast now because we've got an ill omen coming in. Ed, what is our final Keyforge player type? We certainly do. And um, there is an albatross around my neck for this one. So, mm. um, so yes, our final player type is the albatross. The albatross will never truly be satisfied until they found the one deck. You know the one, the best deck in the game the fabled Archon of Legends. Um, and I think the, the reason why this is an Albatross, Zach, is because we all we all have a feeling that there's a deck for us. You know what I mean? We all feel like there's that deck, the one deck that, you know, will suit our play style, will suit us down to the ground. And we're never going to find it because reconciling what that deck is in our head and the reality of Celine, the uh, the notoriously um, the mm-hmm. notoriously uh, unreliable algorithm, um, unreliable in that she spews out all these kind of decks that aren't necessarily the one you want. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be tough for, for albatross style players, but there's also something I think. Um, very romantic about this search for 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 the, for the one deck you know the one that you you really want to find an ultimately fruitless search <laughs> yes yes uh, i know i'm always looking for just these com- very obscure probably not going to work combos on dok and i'm i'm looking for several decks by name because of the how special the name is uh you know emperor soul wish on deer and the raja of bombagam are two decks that i just feel destined to have in my hands whether or not it happens um so I think we all have a little albatross in us. You see people looking for specific decks either because of the name uh, or because of something else. And of course, from uh, early in Keyforge history, uh, we have uh, Cam uh, Cameron, a musician who posted on Reddit saying, "Hey, uh, there's a deck called Cameron Airport Musician. Could some does anybody have it?" And somebody in the community did, and they sent it to him. And he has won a couple events with Cameron Airport Musician. He uh, streams most weekdays. Check him out. Uh, for Keyforge Coffee Break, uh, but he found his his Albatross deck. He found Cameron Outport Musician, and it's just such a special deck to him. So very a very Albatross moment in the community there about uh, about a year and a half ago or so. 
That is a, a really beautiful moment. And I think you, you capture on something there that the Albatross will probably be looking at different groups and trying to find those decks. You know, Richard might be looking for King Potato and um, you might find the Albatross scrolling through decks of Keyforge with a certain rigid determination at two in the morning whilst <laughs> listening to a, a classical mass or something um, yes. or, or, or My Chemical Romance if, if, if they're a 90s kid. <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly. I uh, I've certainly browsed decks of Keyforge enough looking for that Skippy Timehog lock deck that I could just maybe make work. I know it's out there somewhere. I know it's out there somewhere. It, it probably is, or it will be. It will be at some point <laughs> if you buy enough decks, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, the upper limit is the question there of how many decks uh, I can or should buy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh link to gamble aware is in our show no, no, that's one for another episode <laughs> <laughs> yes yes indeed so those those are our keyforge types uh that is the jaybird the social one the owl the puzzler the explorer the hawk uh seeking that powerful winning deck the crow diving into that one deck over and over again, and the albatross uh, looking for a deck that has that right kind of mysticism coming from Keyforge for them, either because of a combo or a name. These are these are our five. Uh, so hit us up with your thoughts on these five. What do you feel like? What do you see people in your community as? Uh, have you learned to appreciate someone more thinking about these types? Uh, and if you have any ideas of types, uh, throw them our way. This is uh, this is certainly a list we can we can think about, add to, and just would love for people to to uh, use as a starting place to think about why people enjoy KeyForge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the meantime, go away, play a few games and enjoy some Keyforge. Yes. Yes, certainly. Dear listener, if you are enjoying Call of Discovery and you are willing and able to support us in a monetary fashion, our Patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks into the spotlight and have a say in our future through our Patreon only Discord. Let us also know what would you like to see more of and less of in future shows. Um, we we will we will take it. So be be honest with your feedback and and do let us know. Please subscribe. If you don't subscribe, you can't hear the episode. So subscribe um, and leave us a review on your regular podcast app. We like reviews, and if it's funny and or strange, we will definitely read it out. You can find us on Facebook, sort of, Instagram, and definitely Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, then please, please, please let them know. Go and shout about it. Shout across the mountains. Have you answered the call of discovery?
We sound like chickens. <laughs> Why wasn't the chicken one? Why didn't we make the chicken one? Oh no, Ed, we have to redo the whole thing. Yeah. We gotta pluck it from, from the end to back to the beginning again. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs>